Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel Pastoral Letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. On this episode of Open Door Policy, we hear from two young, joyful missionary disciples, Father Grayson Heenan, ordained in 2017, and Julia Kowalski, a young architect who is following Jesus with her whole life. So happy to be joined at the Open Door Policy Studio by my good friends, Julia Kowalski and Father Grayson Heenan and Father Steve Polis. How are you guys all doing? A-okay. Doing great. (laughs) Are you guys ready to start with some rapid-fire questions? Absolutely. I reckon. All right. I'm The ones I ask, I'm going to ask you, Father Grayson, and the ones that Father Steve asked, he's going to ask you, Julia. Okay? Yep. Got it. Starting. Father Grayson, what was the coolest article of clothing you had when you were a kid? Um, probably a striped shirt. I really liked striped shirts <laughs> as a kid, and yeah, I had some that eventually got a little overworn, I'd say. What is the weirdest food you have ever eaten? Maybe some, like, tropical fruit in Mexico or something like that. Uh, Julia, what is your favorite piece of religious art? I should know the actual artist and name of this, but the Pieta. The Pieta is a work of Renaissance sculpture by Michael Angelo, housed in St. Peter's Basilica. And if your life was made into a movie, what genre would it be, and who would play you? (laughs) Um, I love this question. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, It would be like a... I hate to say this, but like an indie film. And who would play you? My friend, Nicole Frick. <laughs> yes. Father Grayson, what do you remember about church as a kid? I remember um, looking for ways to entertain myself, and I'd take my mother's watch off her wrist and <laughs> sort of play with the links and and um, and then look at the face of the watch and roll my eyes. Good. You know. If you had to pick... Between hamburger, pizza, or taco, go. Pizza. Uh, Julia, of all the places you've traveled, where would you want to return to? Rome. Julia, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Keep your hair short and your eyes fixed on Jesus. (laughs) I tweeted that. (laughs) Amen. Father Grayson, if you had to teach a class, what would you teach? Grace. If you could pick your confirmation saint today, who would you pick? Edmund Campion. Julia, who would you pick? I was just thinking about that yesterday, actually. Um, And I would pick St. Francis of Assisi. That's mine. Why? Yeah, why would you pick St. Francis? I think because, well, because of his abandonment and also his craftsmanship, but in like kind of um, like a not straightforward craftsmanship type of way. He was a craftsman in every sort of way and a poet in like every sort of way, not just in the way of writing poetry or like building a church, but like the verb build, like he embodied that. Yeah, they they used to call him or he had a nickname of the like the minstrel of God, hmm. uh, that he was just kind of on this pilgrimage, this kind of joyful like minstrel of the Lord. And I think that points to some of that. That's pretty cool. Wait, who would you pick, Father Grayson? For a saint? Yeah. Edmund Campion. Tell me more. Yeah, Edmund Campion was um, one of these sort of underground missionary priests uh, in England during the Elizabethan reign. He's a Jesuit, an academic man by um, training and sort of nature. Yeah, was eventually sent by the Society of Jesus to minister to the Catholics in England when it was illegal to be Catholic. Mary is our foe and a Catholic. 
She is only your queen if I should not produce an heir. And they knew going over Mm -hmm. that they were probably going to get captured and die. Yeah, it was sort of like a 100% quote, failure, end quote rate. Mm -hmm. He wrote... One of his one of his most enduring pieces of writing that he that he uh, put together was called Campion's Brag. It was named Campion's Brag by some of his critics, and it was sort of meant to talk about how he was being sort of braggadocious and sort of prideful in writing this. But he wrote it to all the English people. It was a basic message saying, uh, "We are here to serve you. We have no uh, ulterior motives other than serving God." Um, and there are just some lines in that letter. It's very short, and he probably composed it on the run because he was just living his life on the run when he was there serving and ministering in England. There are some lines in that just that still, every time I read it, bring tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think y'all kind of t- uh, commented on the same thing because you said you go back to Rome and you said you eat pizza and that's the last pl- place that we all <laughs> eat pizza together was in Rome. Indeed. No, actually, we also had it in your kitchen one time. So, but, so yeah. what, were, what was it about Rome, Julia? Um, well, I should have really said Italy at large. It was just a time that was alive with friendship and consolation. And even though it was raining the whole time, in my memory, <laughs> it is bright and sunny and warm. And I think it's because of these two people. We had a great time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for letting us get to know you guys. So, Father Grayson, uh, we'd love to hear from you about, like, your story, your testimony about growing in deeper relationship with Christ. Whenever I, somebody asks me a question, I like to do a little bit of a wind-up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember years ago, Peter Sievald um, was interviewing um, then-Cardinal Ratzinger um, and, you know, future Pope Benedict XVI. And um, he said, he asked the future Pope, who would be the future Pope, uh, how many ways are there to God? And Ratzinger responded, as many as there are people. And I just thought that was a, such a beautiful mm-hmm. and sensitive and thoughtful answer. So everyone is unique. You know, all of our paths to God and growing deeper in relationship with him are unique. So you talk to all sorts of people. Everyone, Everyone's story is so beautiful. That's one of the beautiful things we love yeah. to do and mm-hmm. to hear how God has touched e- each person's mm-hmm. life. So like, we'd love to hear how he's touched your life. Yeah. So was raised Catholic. My mother is Catholic. My father uh, is not, but he's a believing Christian. Went through Catholic school, was certainly raised within the church. Um, when I was in high school, sort of the time where a lot of people start to grow out of the faith, I was growing into it, I guess, growing deeper. And I have God and a number of really good people to thank for that, good teachers. I would say my faith, my Catholic faith, really came alive when I was in college. I was really blessed to have, be, sub, be surrounded by um, excellent, really excellent um, sort of Catholic friends who were interested in growing in holiness. Uh, I went to college at Boston College, was surrounded as well by a number of really good young Jesuits. And we just caught on to the, the kind of flame um, and fervor that some of these Jesuits had. Some of the, I caught on to the fervor that some of these older students had at the school at the time. I started to pray more. There's a beautiful cha- a chapel uh, Boston College, St. Mary's Chapel. In the back of that chapel, there's a wooden statue of the Sacred Heart. And I would say my faith really started to come alive praying in that chapel, um, being near that, that statue of the Sacred Heart. And eventually, at some point, all of a sudden, you could say the great meaning that, that goes along with uh, the Sacred Heart, the image of the Sacred Heart, the fact that God, uh, God's uh, Jesus' heart is in some way inflamed for us, reaching out to us, 
uh, and friendship that just became alive for me. I, all of a sudden, uh, it, it just came alive, and I felt it. Yeah, I remember telling the, a story about the Sacred Heart to some some kids, and I was describing the image of the Sacred Heart to them, and and one of the kids, you know, interrupted me and he said, "You telling me Jesus had heartburn?" <laughs> <laughs> when heartburn comes creeping up on you. <laughs> okay, so that was a kind of a, early college. Yeah, yeah, early college. So there was there was one element of just becoming a disciple, a friend of Jesus, and that yeah. was happening there at Boston College, especially, and the groundwork was already there before it. But um, I would also say, even even since I was a young kid, maybe nine or ten years old, I was going to mass there with my mom, playing with her watch. Even as a young kid, I had a bit of a special intuition that one day I will be up there saying mass. Mm. There was also a sense that that didn't come from me either. Mm. And so that that sort of intuition, um, inkling, never left me. Uh, high school, college, and uh, at a certain point, I went on a silent retreat in college and was, I guess you could say, pushed into really starting to consider my future and what my options would be. I, I somewhat sat down at the negotiating table with God, and I said, all right, God, in the next two years, you're going to send me the, the woman of my dreams. And uh, if you don't do that, I will take that as a sign to go into seminary. There's nothing like giving God a timeline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Or an ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, an ultimatum. Hey, God, this Negoti- is the plan. <laughs> negotiating with God is, is a one-sided business, <laughs> uh, which is a good thing. But I, I figured I'd take that as a sign if that didn't come around. Um, that I should go into seminary. And I, and I, t- I determined I'd go into seminary a young man, and there, God, you will make absolutely certain to me what my vocation is. And hopefully, <laughs> at the time, I wasn't too comfortable with the notion, <laughs> hopefully you'll indicate to me there in seminary that I'm not called. And then uh, I'll be able to leave seminary as a young man and start a family. So We can get that done with, and I can move <laughs> on with my life. Right? Exactly. And so, and so, as I like to say, like, there, there was a certain door cracked open there of negotiating with God and entertaining the notion of a yes. And within the next year and a half, my heart was flooded with joy with, that, with the notion of, of being a priest. And I remember one particular session with a spiritual director, a young Jesuit. He asked me, um, when you catch yourself daydreaming, picturing yourself in your future, what are you doing? Mm. And it was a great question, mm-hmm. real insight to that. And I thought about it, and without hesitation, really, saying Mass, uh, hearing confessions, uh, preaching, priesting. <laughs> um, and he said, are those joyful thoughts? And again, no hesitation, they were. Mm. And that was that was really sort of the breakthrough moment of seeing what God was doing within me and and calling me to. You are ordained. You are a priest yes. now. Yes, I've been a priest for a year and a half. Um, the uh, associate pastor at St. Damien of Molokai Parish in Pontiac. Very blessed to be with those people up there in the in the north. Father Grayson, give us like one of the graces of priesthood you've mm-hmm. experienced. Either something you've really loved or something you didn't expect would be a grace that you've kind of had. I know your first year as a priest, you were a student priest, so mm-hmm. you were doing finishing your degree and right. getting all smart on us. Uh, but he worked at St. Anne, though. That's how we met each other, is he did yep. a little bit of summer, summer work. For right? yep, mm-hmm. summer work. Yep. So, so, so what's something as a priest that's been kind of a, a grace for you? There is such a special moment uh, that, um, that we get to experience and be a part of when people come to us for confession. Uh, an incredible moment for healing. Um, there's just immediately a kind of intimacy that you're drawn into in the person's life. 
you're able to be an instrument of God in those moments, a uh, messenger of his mercy, messenger of his love. You know, I was even thinking like sociologically, I mean, no other place does this exist mm-hmm. in the world where somebody would invite you so um, fearlessly into their most intimate life. Right. And, and their experience healing and, and possibly a new beginning. That's just been such a grace to um, be invited into that and to be a part of God's plan of, of mercy and renewal in people's lives in that way. Julia, I know that you do just a lot of like really heart-based stuff, right? You volunteer with the youth group. You work with the people in the city of Detroit. Um, open up for me just the concept a little bit. When you hear the term accompaniment, what are you thinking? What does that mean in evangelization? What does that mean in the context of a church and being a disciple? The beautiful thing about the question you just asked me is that I could probably spend my whole life answering it. So I'm just going to give like a little bit of context. So accompaniment, um, volunteering for a high school youth group, means resisting the urge to parent them at every (laughs) moment and um, listening. I think uh, listening is probably first and foremost what it means to accompany, like listening with a patient heart. That's something that we talk about a lot, too. It's just the concept of compassion mm-hmm. in suffering with someone, not having an answer for them and just just walking into their life. Yeah, I I think a lot about the phrase um, tender compassion and, mm-hmm. and what that means for the Lord and his how he relates to us. And I used to think like, oh, tender compassion being um, compassion, meaning suffer with and like. I've been thinking about the phrase suffer with and what it means to suffer joyfully for many years and trying to understand, like, what really does that mean for us as Christians? Like, what does it mean to be joyful and also suffering at the same time? And and that leads me to thinking about, like, the tenderness of the sacred heart. And that's, um, I think, like, I used to think that meant something, like, very warm, like this warm tenderness that's so pleasant to be by. But, like, tender can really, um, tender compassion can really mean, like, a raw, like, open wound and and just being present with that. I think of suffer with, too, is, like, maybe the person isn't suffering in the same way or Mm. exactly like you are. But there's a a kind of suffering, (laughs) if we can say it that way, that comes with accompaniment. Because we can't just fix everything, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. can't just say, just do it the way I would do it yeah. or mm-hmm. just just get it right. Yeah. So there's a kind of suffering that comes with just walking with someone yeah. on the road and saying, okay, we don't have it all figured out yet, and there's nothing I can do to solve this problem, mm-hmm. but I want to be with you right now. And I know as a priest, we get privileged to be in that position, Father Grayson, but like, I think all of us get to do that with people who invite us into their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I I also think, I mean, a big theme for me recently has been um, letting go of control. And I think when we let go of control of our what we want to achieve in a day or when we let go of control of maybe like our hopes for what we want in the future or what we want for someone um, or yeah, just letting control of all those things that allows us to accompany freely because we're letting go of our expectations and then being open to what the Lord is putting in our path that we may not see, that we may not have paid attention to before when we were paying attention to our own desire. Yeah. What does this mean to you, Father Grayson, when we talk about accompaniment? One of my favorite phrases of all times, you sort of hear it for the first time and you're like, oh, that's nice, that's nice. Then 
the, your whole life, you just peel back layers and layers and layers of the depth of it. Faith seeking understanding. We don't have everything figured out. We don't have all the answers, but we're going to believe together that we're in God's hands. And in some way, he's going to see us through. You know, there's going to be some serious Calvary in our lives, mm-hmm. but Easter morning is at the end of it. Mm-hmm. There's a, a phrase that you told me last year by Dostoevsky, and I like literally just texted it to someone yesterday. Love in reality is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Mm. And I was like, oh, that just blew my mind. And I think that I think about that so many times. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean to love someone in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It means getting our hands dirty. It means kind of entering into the brokenness of another person's life. And it also means exposing our own kind of brokenness as Mm -hmm. well, becoming vulnerable there. Yeah, for sure. And no bystanders in all of this, right? You mean I don't get to check out? I don't get to say, hey, that's for you guys to do over there? Yeah. Yeah. And I think another beautiful part that we like kind of touched on too is how one of my friends, Briar Thomas, would say, Jesus exists in the gray. Like, er, the deeper you get into this stuff, you're kind of like, oh, wow, everything's not so black and white. Things are tricky. I don't know necessarily what to say, what to do. Maybe I don't have a quote-unquote answer. And I think that's exactly where we're supposed to be, though, is not have answers and just be like, hey, I'm here for this. I'm here for you. Yeah, I I mean, I think there are times when it's easier or or we we have some direction where to go, at least in my life. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's being overconfident. But, <laughs> but there are plenty of times where I'm like, okay, yeah. I, you know, uh, this is faith seeking understanding. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the very beginning of the pastoral letter, the first kind of uh, markers and guideposts are about uh, repent and believe in the gospel. That it, it comes from like, there's part of me that doesn't want to do what God wants me to do. Um, and then I have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of at the heart of what it means uh, to be a Christian. Do you, I mean, what do you guys think about that concept of repentance? I mean, that's all throughout Lent. Uh, repent and believe in the gospel. Put off what is not of God and, and put on uh, the mind of faith. Do we do repentance well in the church? I'm sure sometimes we do it well, sometimes we don't. That's certainly true in, in my own life. One of the conversations that Julia, Danielle, and I have already had before is that there are these there are these sort of three um, interweaving threads in, in all of our lives, fundamental to Christian anthropology, you could say. And that's the fact that we're created good. We're mm-hmm. a part of God's good creation. Sometimes we really need to believe that, and that can... that om- that belief itself can come under threat sometimes in the way we think about ourselves. So we're created good. Second thread, we're fallen, and we're in some way slaves to this reign of sin, which in some way afflicts us and even robs us of our freedom in some way. And then the third thread is, is the third uh, thread is that we are being redeemed, renewed, recreated in Christ. Um, God hasn't sort of left us, you know, sort of unresolved in our tension and everything, but he's, in, in fact, incarnated, come into our world, uh, come into our heart, put his spirit within our heart to uh, renew us, redeem us. So repentance is always one of those parts of our lives that you just can't, um, you're, never, you're never done repenting. It's spade work. It's the spiritual life. It's, it's always giving yourself a good look and 
looking to the ways where you need to um, convert, asking God for a new strength. That sounds like the kerygma, what you just said, right? Like (laughs) we're made good, uh, we are fallen, Mm -hmm. and um, God didn't leave us in our brokenness, but he sent us a Savior. And uh, to repent of, you know, even the times when we don't believe we're good or we buy into the lie that we're not good. Yeah. You were talking about confession earlier and being on, like, that side, this side, right? I can talk about being on this side of confession because you're, as you're saying that, I'm like, that's fascinating that that's what you experience. Because <laughs> I, in my, like, in my experience of confession, I'll go, and I know most of y'all, right, who I end up confessing to. So most of the time I'll confess and then the priest will say something like, I'm not kidding. He'll say, what am I going to do with you, Danielle? (laughs) (laughs) And he'll say, what kind of penance should I give you? And I always say, just give me a hard one, right? Because like, that's what Mm. you want Mm. is like, I kind of screwed this up. Can you just give me something hard like so I can do it? And then inevitably the priest will say something like, no, God is a God of mercy. Say one glory be or like one hail Mary, and I'm like, you're like, what? Why? You're like, no. like, like, please let me work a little bit. But that's just like the the, the like the grace, like huge grace of mercy too. Like mm-hmm. our repentance and God's like always wanting us to come back, and like there's not really the punishment aspect of it. So He's so good to us. But that's a huge piece of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There was this old priest uh, when I was in college who would talk about this when I'd go to confession, he'd, he'd tell me, like, um, you're taking your eyes off Jesus and mm-hmm. you're looking at your sins mm-hmm. without looking at him, right? You're just kind of focused on your sins. And unless you're seeing your sins in the light of Christ, not in a way of, of shaming, but like seeing the one who can heal you of that and the one um, that makes, you know, what you've done wrong, breaking a relationship, and the one who died for you, um, you're not going to get it, and you're going to get caught up in your sin. And that was such a key moment for me of, like, d- the sin is only as helpful to look at as you're looking mm-hmm. at it with Jesus. And to yeah. take my eyes off Jesus to look at my sin, even in preparing for confession, is a huge mistake. Yeah. Even in working with ministry, like, all of this, it doesn't make sense outside of the lens of, like, Jesus and God's love. So my ministry, all the work that we do, all the work that you do for the kids, does it make sense outside of God's love? I would say not. Yeah. I think that's the right answer. (laughs) Julia, I see you got the pastoral letter open Mm -hmm. in front of you. I see you got the good habits open in front of you. Um, Are there any good habits there that like the good habits or the bad habits that really um, strike you? I'm really digging this apostolic boldness, point number Mm. six for all the folks at home. Nice. Yeah, I would say, I mean, just thinking about my own life and thinking about the gifts that have been given to me and just thinking about like my identity and also identity as like what it means for me as a daughter of God to be existing in this world. I think like a big part of my identity, it has to do with boldness. And I like to like, in my own mind, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be naive and just like speak from my heart and just kind of like process externally. But I think what it looks like to the world is boldness, which is like, whatever, I don't know. I think it's awesome and exciting. Uh, Going back to accompaniment, um, I kind of, started to realize this in college when I was just living my life in architecture school and architecture school um like me being there was was a miracle in and of itself and so like I knew that the Lord had opened that door for me because 
in fact, I had asked him to, and he did, and I just walked through the door, and then there I was, existing in this world, um, thinking about what it means to be a craftsman, what it means to make things as people. And back to, like, apostolic boldness, architecture gave me kind of a language of of craftsmanship and, and things of that nature that kind of gave me a language to understand God. So, right, it's really beautiful that we are... Um, children made from a loving father and he made each of us and communicates with us in a different way, right? Like how many Mm -hmm. different ways to God. So the way I communicate with the Lord is very architectural and very image-based and and spatial. And being in that school and being in a field that is not, you know, necessarily Christian. um, Not all the time, right? Not all the time, yeah, to be fair. Um, And just having my heart be on fire in that way I'm being able to speak to students and being like, isn't it amazing of all these spaces that you're making to affect people for the greater good as well? And also you're bold in your accompaniment too, which was your other topic too. I sure hope so. Yeah. You're like, hey, let me walk into these places that are kind of messy. I think that a lot Mm. of people are afraid of, you know, so. You know, I get to talk about Unleash the Gospel a lot at parishes or schools or with people. And it's so cool to hear how, like, the good habits really strike people. Yeah. The bad habits are the good habits. Father Grayson, is there a good habit that, you know, in this pastoral letter speaks to you in a particular way? What Julia said. <laughs> uh, ditto. <laughs> ditto. No, um, <clears throat> apostolic boldness, um, confidence in God. I think both of these get at something um, crucial about our faith. Um Unleash the Gospel is about becoming, uh, in some way, missionaries. Mm. And I think people are kind of afraid of that word because I think it sort of brings to mind a a character that's sort of pushy and in your face and knocking on your door and knocking down your door or something like that and maybe just sort of invading your, your, um, your space or something like that. Yeah. And, and I think that's understandable. People are sort of afraid of being missionaries in that sense, but... Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm sort of a philosopher by training, I guess. I, I love philosophy. I studied it in college. Virtue is always the, the mean between two extremes. And I think on, on one hand, you sort of have the, yeah, this sort of pushiness. And that's, this is one extreme. No, pushiness. Maybe you're not respecting a person's freedom totally. And, and, and we then, might call that like proselytizing, sure, right? Or, right, or kind right. Of a, a pushiness. Yeah, and or, I, think, yeah. I think the archbishop is, is great. I think in, some, in the letter he even mentions that. This is not what we're talking about. Yeah. And on the other extreme, you would have a sort of fear and um, a hesitancy to... Timidity. Yeah. I mean, we, I remember we, a number of us in college, we would laugh because... Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a brief little story. Two, two guys, um, they were freshmen or sophomores, something like that. They were both going to the noon mass during the week. It wasn't Sunday mass. And they run into each other on campus, and they, they say, hey, what's up? Where are you going? Both of them were going to the mass. Both of them were afraid to say where they were going. So uh, they I'm both, going to the bar. <laughs> they both lied and then <gasps> embarrassingly saw each other at mass. Oh, my gosh. And so this is, this is you well, know. Were you one of those guys? Uh, I wasn't one of them in the story, but I'm certainly guilty of, yeah. of, of that kind of timidity mm. to have confidence in God, to have an apostolic boldness, um, to be fearless in saying, uh, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is this is the great miracles that God has worked in my life. I'm not going to be apologetic about this, nor am I going to be pushy or, or or scared about it. But um, 
just to be comfortable in, in knowing that God is our good father. And you know what kind of ties into that and like all of this perhaps is we all need that, right? So like I need that boldness for me. I Literally just yesterday, a friend of mine, Lisa Ray, who I met on retreat like 10 years ago in Chicago, but she lives in Wisconsin. She texted me from Arizona as her phone was going to die. Hey, Danielle, I just... It's come to me in prayer that God hasn't forgotten you and things that you've been praying for, like these aren't just tricks that he's Mm. playing on you. He wants your heart to dance. This is literally what I had written in my journal, like the night before are these things. And I was like, why did you text me? And I was like, thank you for texting me. And she's like, I can't text anymore. My phone's dying. And I'm like, wow, that's so incredible too. So it's like her her bold action of like, hi, I'm going to speak truth into your life was what I needed, but she had no way of knowing that because it's not like I was like, hey, can you read my journal? (laughs) Right, and I think like that boldness, like the root of it, I mean, the root of everything is trust in God. Like the root of all relationship is trust. Um, And so like, like she trusted that that inkling that she had to text you was that she should follow that. Yeah. And when she did, it ended up being bold in your life. So I I think just um, Father... Jacques Philippe. Father Jacques Philippe's writings have become classics of modern spirituality, with over one million copies sold in 24 languages. He describes this image of trusting God. He said that most people don't trust God. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) Um, This, like, very docile, simple French priest. Um, And he said that trusting in God is, like, he said most people live like if they're wearing a parachute vest and they're inside a plane and they never jump. But like trusting God starts when we jump out of the plane and like we don't without the vest and we don't know, <laughs> like it's that first feeling of falling. And like mm-hmm. if anybody like climbs or does anything with jumping, I don't know, like that feeling of falling mm-hmm. is terrifying. Cause you're like, is there anything here? Like, is everything I put it's loss of control? Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. And it's, um, it's it. Yeah. Well, you know, before we, we let you go, uh, Julia and Father Grayson, we usually ask our guests if they have any final word, any, um, you know, anything they want to say to our listeners before we wrap up. So, uh, Julia, do you have anything to share? And that was a pretty great final word with Father Jacques Philippe, but anything else? Be not afraid. And Father Grayson? Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the, he's the first word and he's the last word. Death is not the last word. Jesus is the last word. Our renewal, our new life, our resurrection and restoration that, that we have uh, in him. Amen. I'm so happy Father Grayson and Julia stopped by the Open Door Policy studio so that we could hear how God is working in their lives and how they are striving to live out Unleash the Gospel in their area in the vineyard. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for the ride. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. Open Door Policy was produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit. We'd like to thank our creative team, Christine Warner, Ron Pangborn, Paul Duda, Patrick Hodgden, Devin Buston, Patty Maldonado, Naomi Frazo, Joe Peltier, Epsi Christosimo, and Edmundo Reyes.
Join us next time as we unleash paths to self-awareness. I didn't realize how many times I say wow until I re-listen to these podcasts. Wow. I know. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Hi, this is Danielle from Open Door Policy, and I wanted to let you know that for season two, we have new social media channels for you to connect and follow Open Door Policy. So be sure to follow at Open Door Detroit on Twitter and Facebook. Tell us what you think of the latest episodes and follow along for the latest updates on all things Open Door Policy. Thanks, friends. Nice.